Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Taurus Report. I have with me today astrophysicist uh, Lee Greer, who is going to help me go over a few things that have appeared in the news lately uh, that have inspired me to uh, go ahead and uh, do this special episode. Um, welcome, Lee. Good seeing you again. Good, good to see you too, Joe. And, and again, as mentioned earlier, Happy New Year. Well, thank you very much. Happy New Year to everybody out there. So the thing that really interested me and got me started uh, this past week, taking a look at this, uh, this is Lee's website. We'll get to that a little later in the show here. Uh, was this article that appeared in the news, um, Shattering Astrophysical Myths, The Surprising Prevalence of Galactic Winds. And that title is uh, is not very revealing to me, okay? The thing that I found interesting in this article is that, uh, as you know, some time ago in my Taurus report, and as always, I will include all these websites in with the comments when we post the video here, but some time ago in episode 13, uh, I did this one show where I explained how CGC, uh, uh, Cyclic uh, Gravity and Cosmology, uh, interprets black holes such, as, such that they are actually neutron stars and actually capable of ejecting matter from their interiors. Now, I explain all the specifics of that in CGC, and I won't go to, uh, into it any more uh, depth at this point in time. But my point is that, uh, according to CGC, these uh, jets from active galactic uh, nuclei uh, serve to recycle matter in the universe. So uh, as things get older and more metallic, at some point, they have a chance of uh, eventually working their way into the galactic center. And then uh, all of the metals are recycled and spit out again as uh, basic hydrogen uh, or helium. And so I had uh, kind of uh, expressed this uh, several times um, in presenting CGC, but most specifically in this episode 13. Now, coming back to the uh, article, so this article presents recent research uh, by these scientists, uh, really specifically analyzing these galactic winds, and they're noting that it has this sort of uh, double polar uh, conical shape coming out from the galaxy. <coughs> Excuse me. And so the thing that I found interesting in the article is their presentation of this conical shape. The uh, article, they seem to attribute all of this matter being ejected to uh, novas and supernovas spread throughout that galaxy. And somehow it is ejected in this sort of conical way. Uh, both above the galactic plane and below the galactic plane. But nowhere did they ever explain, you know, why general ejecta from novas spread throughout a galaxy, why it should have this specific dipolar conical shape. And they don't really ever deal with that or explain it. 
and they certainly don't present it as stemming from the uh, galactic nucleus. And so, uh, Lee, we had discussed earlier, uh, we had discussed earlier about uh, active galactic uh, nuclei, specifically Seifert galaxies, and uh, uh, also general quasars, which the two, uh, I think, are related. And I was hoping that uh, you could, for the audience, uh, just explain a little bit about uh, what quasars are, what Seifert uh, uh, galaxies are, and, and kind of the relationship between the two, and what it might possibly have to do with uh, what we're seeing in this article. Yes, yes, definitely. Well, <clears throat> all galaxies tend, tend to have what is called a galactic nucleus, and there are some galaxies which have a very active galactic nucleus, and they're called AGNs, active galactic nuclei, types of galaxies like that. And some of the most striking examples of this are the Seifert galaxies, which a surprising number of the common galaxies that, that someone would see through, through a telescope, even Messier objects and all of that, meaning they were seen in the 18th century, right? Uh, are, are Seifert galaxies. And, and Seifert galaxies them, them, themselves, they are one of the largest groups of these active galactic nuclei. They have very high surface bright, brightness, a very strong point-like core, in a sense, very high ionization emission lines. Um, they they're very striking in in appearance, and they and they tend to to have have patterns of X-ray and radio emission, even though they are not considered some of the radio loud galaxies. Right, and I think that the uh, one of the things distinguishing the Seiferts is having this sort of uh, uh, disk, which is, yeah. I think, what is the source of the brightness, is they have this, they're sort of like a quasar, if I understand correctly, a quasar is like uh, what we're seeing here with this uh, disk, uh, but without the disk. In other words, a quasar is, is ejecting stuff, uh, but we don't mm -hmm. see this disk, whereas a Seifert, we kind of see the disk, um, uh, if I'm understanding it correctly. Right. Now, now quasars are, they're extremely luminous, um, you know, active galactic nuclei. And at first they were, they were considered to be when they were first named, and, and I think the first description was, of them was published by Martin Schmidt in 1963. They looked like stars, so they were called quasi-stellar objects. Their, their high red shifts didn't quite make, make sense. They didn't look like ordinary galaxies. And, and, you don't, and you really just see this very, very compact, exceedingly luminous core and often very radio loud. Uh, they, tend, they can also have, like other galactic nuclei, they can have jets on the semi-minor axis or lobes of emission in X-ray X-ray radio spectrum, other areas. Of so the magnetic spectrum. So yeah, when they, they, when they were first discovered, people didn't really know exactly what they are. So, so exactly. that's where they got exactly. their name, Qu quasi-stellar, meaning we don't really know what this is, kind of. 
exactly. but but extremely bright and extremely energetic. Uh, and so then slowly over the over time, then uh, researchers started associating them with uh, galactic nuclei. Yes, yes. Now it, it turns out that so for instance Hubble. Uh, one of the most famous of these galaxies uh, is, if, if I may share a screen for just a second sure. here, let's see. Let me just, there we are. Okay, so one of the most famous of these is, of course, 3C273, um, and, and Hubble did this occultation image, so you can see that there is something around the, the quasar as as well, that that is... Uh, Images taken some years in the past with what used to be the most magnificent ob observatory of our Earth, which was right, the Hubble right. Space Telescope. Of course, now it's been surpassed by by the uh, James Webb Space Telescope. Here. By by the way, the the image of the Seyfert Galaxy M eighty two in that article in Science Daily that that you referenced is an absolute magnificent image. There, I think it it really illustrates the semi, I mean, the minor axis cones of emission from from the core of the galaxy and all of that. Right. And for me, one of the things that, you know, and I, I kind of like to uh, uh, repeat that, and then we'll get to this uh, other item uh, that we had discussed, um, is that when we look at the plumes of ejecta, Yes. Um, I am uh, confused. Well, I guess I'm not confused. Uh, let me just uh, say out loud just what I'm thinking. Okay, I think standard cosmology, looking at a picture like this, and I'm sorry it's so small here, but where you have this disc. Well, I just shared it large on the screen right now. Oh, yes. Oh, perfect. Okay, good. Let me, yeah. let me yeah. just go to that. Let's just go to that. Okay. Sure. Uh, so you have uh, uh, a disk where stuff is infalling into the uh, uh, central core. Mm -hmm. And then uh, being ejected in plumes perpendicular to the plane of the galaxy. And I think basically under standard cosmology, of course, uh, if that is a black hole at the center then according to standard cosmology, uh, nothing at all can ever escape a black hole. And so then, according to standard cosmology, basically, this stuff is swirling in a disk, and then somehow that swirling motion, uh, as it swirls in, that same stuff, that same matter, would somehow have to be reoriented and ejected out vertically. Uh, without ever having actually gone to the interior of the black hole, right? Uh, under standard cosmology. Now, of course, uh, under CGC, this stuff could spiral in and hit a certain critical mass because, and when I use the phrase critical mass, what I mean here is that under CGC, um, neutron stars are only allowed to certain take certain discrete sizes and so right. if they go beyond that discrete size then suddenly the surface would become repulsive 
And of course, in a black hole or a neutron star, that repulsive force would be proportional with attractive gravitational force at different levels. So it's just another fancy way of me saying it'd be extremely strong repulsive force. And so then uh, under CGC, this stuff would fall in, actually be incorporated into the neutron star. Uh, and then at some point when it hits a critical size, the surface becomes actually repulsive rather than attractive. And then when it becomes repulsive, the stuff would be shot out in, uh, uh, in this vertical axis. And so also when that is done, the other thing that happens is that things which are metals, if they fell into the neutron star, of course, everything becomes basic neutronium. And so it's broken down to its uh, uh, constituent uh, nucleons. And so then when things are ejected, there's every possibility it is ejected as uh, fresh hydrogen. And so in this way, uh, everything would be recycled. And uh, in fact, of course, I posit this as, as a way of justifying a steady state version of the universe because then if all uh, heavy metals eventually are recycled back into hydrogen, then that, pro that cyclic process could go on, of course, indefinitely into the future. And so then we would have a steady state universe, a steady state universe in cosmology where everything is being endlessly recycled like that. Now, right. the. Right. Uh, well, and of, and, of, and of course, with your CGC model, I, I think it would be great if we devote a future episodes sometime to, to some possible very interesting tests that we could have for, for, for that cosmology. We have discussed some of those before. I know it's beyond the. Dis it's beyond the realm of what we're discussing this this episode, but uh, I think yeah. that would, that would be very good. Yes, yeah. and and uh, the thing that I note is uh, in the uh, some of the items that you sent to me earlier because I was looking it over this morning, um, uh, like the uh, Embart Sumian. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing the names exactly yeah. correctly. Uh, yeah, Vorontsev, uh, Veliaminov, uh, an Arps pioneering work. Uh, in those things, as I was looking it over, I came, I came uh, across something in there this morning where one of them, and I'm forgetting off the top of my head right now which one it was, had mentioned that when they're looking at the way uh, uh, galaxies are formed, and they were describing this type of stuff as a, a mechanism for forming spiral arms, in other words, stuff being shot out far, and then the the whole uh, uh, assembly continues to spin and rotate and you end up with spiral arms. But one of the things one of them uh, said in his paper was that it seems as though there is some sort of repulsive force and it's difficult to explain all these motions in the absence of a repulsive force, uh, which, yeah. I, which I found very interesting. But uh, uh, as you mentioned some of those researches, uh, uh, I'm wondering if you have uh, any comment on some of that uh, older work uh, that, that you had brought that. up. Yeah. Yes, yeah, if definitely. you could. 
So, uh, just while while we're on M eighty two, I want to just briefly note note a couple things. Notice these this these terribly explosive strands coming coming out of the of the core, and not only just along the major axis, but but even to a lesser dig, degree, exploding away from from the center of this. Now, I'm going to show you something very interesting, which was in over the years. Uh, Dis described. I'm going to share another screen really quick here, uh, and this will be just a second. Here we are, and there. Okay, so 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 here are a couple of galaxies right over on this side. Can you see my cursor? Okay. Yes, we see your that's cursor. Great. Yes, that's that's M82 here, there, and of course here's here's a Hubble image of it getting close to that. Over the years, it noticed however and of course here is a hydrogen alpha image uh, showing this this is published in 1968 it's, it's interesting how culture affects uh presentation to the public so so this is a popular book that king wrote in 1968 and exploding galaxies were a matter of topical dis discussion in 1968 look at look at this image now, what interesting. is very interesting here's of course a similar image what, which which we just saw, is that when one looks at it, there are in fact streaming away from that exploding image, quasars. Okay, here they are right here that seem to al align in ways, and in fact, as we as uh, more searches have been done, here are the number of quasars. There's a hydrogen alpha cap here, and this is not a random distribution of quasars, which are supposed to be with a higher redshift far in the background. Notice how they align with exploding aspects of this. Right, uh, they they align with that uh, vertical cone uh, ejecting exactly. from the plane of the galaxy. Yes, exactly. And and then we look at here. This is some some of Arp's work. These these are many of the objects, including X-ray objects, which are also being emitted from there. In other words, there's stuff pouring out of this galaxy for some reason, and this is one of those safer galaxies. Now, if 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 you don't mind, I'll share another screen because sure. I would like to be, briefly mention the the work of. Well, actually, I can go up up the same 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 screen because I want to show you something quite fascinating here um let me go back to share and here we are there okay so so this is another one of those active galaxies ngc 4438 you can see one of those bubbles emerging right out of the core that's with the wide um, field planet planetary camera 2 on the hubble space telescope uh, this is on an unpublished uh, chapter in my website here and of course, here I dis discuss some of the issues about the Virial theorem. We might touch up on that later on. But here is Victor Ambart Sumyan, uh, died in 1996. And he said something very interesting in 1961. He had been studying these. He suggested that, uh, that, um, that some galaxy clusters are actually, and galaxies are actually, or, or galaxy clusters are actually gravitationally open. They are not bound, so they're coming apart, similar to what we just saw. Right. Okay. 
he, and he says, one of the problems confronting us, this is quote, quoting him in the study of the outflow of matter and ejections from the nuclei of the galaxies, is the quantitative evolution of the ejected masses. This refers equally to those galaxies of which the central parts show emission lines, and to the radio galaxies and to other examples with discrete ejections. The few facts at our disposal show that these data may conflict with the law of conservation of energy matter in its present form and may perhaps require a generalization of this law. And of, and of course, in other words, I'm citing in light of the virial theorem that this may not equal zero, but we won't go into and, and that. And that is the derivative of what with respect to time there? The, the that, G, that what does the G stand for? That is the, the gravitational the, constant or something else? Gravitational consess, uh, 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 the gravitational constant um, related as it is with the with baryon number. Nucleon okay. Number. All right. So that so basically related, the related to a discussion up here, which is probably beyond the realm of what we need to talk about. Right. right. Yeah. But but in essence, what okay. it, what it's basically saying, uh, you know, for the layman, is that yeah. uh, gravity is not behaving uh, as we would expect. That's basically what it's saying. Exactly, exactly. Now, of course, a, then a young astronomer, Halt Halt and Art, began looking at at these um, at a, at a, at a number of these e e seeming ejecting galaxies right and let me just point out one example because there is a recent let me zoom down here let's there's so much we could say about right. this we, we don't have a uh, lack of topics here right we, we don't have a lack of topics so so let's just take the example of Seyfert galaxy ngc 2639 part of the new general catalog all right and years ago back in 2008 and three, and this was before actually it was published. It was noted that that uh, across this galaxy, which is NGC, this Seyfert galaxy, were two quasars of higher redshift. By the way, these are the Z numbers, and they and they're positioned across. So this was a phenomenon which was documented over and over uh, again. Now, in 2019, this paper was was published. And this, this is a paper by Sebastian et al. And there are secondary lobes within there observed at, uh, at 5 gigahertz in radio and so forth. And the orientation of these lobes, very, very interestingly, there are secondary lobes and primary lobes. Now, this, this is interesting before we get into the weeds. There was another paper published. By the way, this this is how this galaxy is is classified on the Hubble de uh, morphology di diagram. Here, it's a it's an S A A uh, galaxy. So it's so it's one of this very tightly wound spiral galaxies. Well, what it what is obs observed there is that along the minor axis, there are a number of blue stellar objects which are lined up as if they had been e ejected. And then here are these two objects here, these, these uh, quasars right, right here with, with the higher Z. It just so happens that the alignment 
of a primary and secondary jets there, okay, uh, and actually there have been four jet episodes out of the core, and 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 this paper, which is which is Rao et al. Uh, 2023, they of course have tried to uh, attribute it all to naturally accretion disks, right, and mergers, right. Right. Okay. Mergers is a big thing they use all the time. Mergers, yes. Once the fad of expl- quote unquote exploding galaxies were were gone, then mergers came were were in. Cor- correct. And it just so happens that 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 the alignment of those of two of those lobes, okay, roughly fits with the putatively ejected blue stellar objects and with the quasi-stellar objects. Right, and then the the thing that um, uh, people uh, kind of criticizing this association would note that the redshift of the quasars, uh, according to standard theory, doesn't really match up with the redshift of the uh, source galaxy. That's right. Well, the odd thing is, and this is, a, again, a topic for another time, is that, th- that there's an intrinsic component that, that in, the, in the redshift which depends on where, where you are in the, in the morphology. And, and that's been known for about 20 years, too, but somehow it never makes the discussions. You know, it has been published in the peer-reviewed literature, but, uh, but it, it doesn't make the discussions. So... In addition to whatever general expansion is happening in the universe, there seem to be intrinsic com- components to the redshift, and there seem to be these e- ejecting phenomena. Now, now let me just quickly wind this 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 up so you can get back on topic. By the way, here's a here's a beautiful image of an ejection. This just happens to to be radio and everything for 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 this galaxy here, which is NGC forty two fifty eight. And wouldn't you know, there are quasars. Quasars directly in that path. Directly, yes. Margaret Burbage published this years ago at Kit at Kit Peak. You know, stuff that you know mergers don't explain the the this set of phenomena, do they? <laughs> no, no, no. You so. can't you can't explain that with a merger. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've just noticed the pattern with the. Uh, Many things I'm reading now, it's like uh, uh, every time something unusual comes up, you know, you can bet that the word merger is coming in the next paragraph. Right. So, 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 so let me show to, to list some, some of the papers which are done, and this is already available on, on the website. I'll go ahead and share this screen here so that you can, so, so here we are. On the on the homeboat page, if we go to to Ambart Sumian, Victor Ambart Sumian, who was actually a very impressive man, a, a statesman as as well as a scientist, one of those complete types of individuals, okay, and he published well, he published more papers. I actually link happened. There's papers, most of them not not translated into English, but these are a series of the papers, and he was exploring this issue: why do so many well, how do, what is the formation of galaxies and galaxy clusters if these galaxy clusters are coming apart rather than uh, assembling? Of course, that raises the issue of 
of dark matter, whether baryonic or not, doesn't it, uh, Joe? Right. You know, if you right. really get down. To... Yeah. If, and then, uh, then if, of course, there's a. Go ahead. Sorry. The, yeah. If uh, uh, you know, of course, again under CGC, what we would see is. Uh, things over a period of time going through phases of gentle expansion and contraction. When I mean gentle, I mean if you're talking in terms of uh, huge scales, it would appear as gentle expansion and contraction. Of course, uh, the ejecta are anything but gentle, but, but uh, on very large scales, things like clusters and galaxies would go through periods of uh, formation and condensation and other periods of de disintegration, um, you know, obviously in a cyclic way, uh, back and yes. forth. And so, and so, of course, uh, current gravitational theory and, and uh, you know, the idea of a expansion constant, like the Hubble constant that just applies everywhere for all time in an expansive way only, uh, would not be able to ever incorporate any such thinking into into current uh, cosmology, uh, which, if Absolutely. if uh, uh, CGC is correct, then of course uh, uh, cosmology would have to go in an entirely different direction. That's right. Well, there was another Soviet scientist who compiled a catalog, which you can also get for free. I have it linked. It's it, it's link, linked from from Caltech. And it's the Vorontsev Valyaminov uh, Atlas and Catalog of Interacting Gal Galaxies, and it, in many ways, is a precursor of of ARP's Catalog of Peculiar Galaxies, and and all these amazing uh, un unusual galaxies of which we're finding more as as we go further further out. You know, uh, there's definitely some interesting phenomena going on which don't nicely fit into into the current para paradigm right and, which, and with the current paradigm again anytime you read about them uh we know in the next paragraph the word merger is coming uh, whenever something strange or unusual or unexplainable happens they try to explain it by assuming some sort of collision that did it uh yes so and they and they basically have to because how else do you derive structure in in the hot big bang universe you know the lambda cold cold dark matter universe you know uh, right you have to us assume all of that when the empirical data suggests otherwise now just let me make a, a quick heretical comment if i may because you are you are proposing a new theory of gravity when we look at general rel relativity um which which based on the work of you know was based on the work of men of many that that arose although it's commonly assigned to einstein right um is that we're that we're thinking of the fact that that beyond the schwarzschild rate rate radius you know a star that is massive enough of about five solar masses to where only to where light can cannot escape and everything the gravitational theory of the standard general relativity gravitational theory predicts singularities which are infinite quanta quantities now you also as far as, as density math, right infinite density yeah infinite density correct 
which is another way of saying a not, the the theory is non predictive beyond a certain certain point. Which, right. When you get when you address, get through the yes, that's exactly. right. Yeah. Which su suggests that it may not be a final and complete theory, you know. Plus, it's it's been pointed pointed out that uh, that it is not scale invariant. It doesn't engage in the same sort of of gauge invariance that we expect of other field theories in modern physics. And so, so there is something. In other words, there is more to be learned on the gravity front. And I I I'd say let every model be put out there and and tested I, right i think well i mean i certainly agree with that uh i'm not sure that that's even heretical uh lee <laughs> no it's just not uh... It's not the prevailing paradigm, though, is it? Right. right. So. Yeah. Well, the big hurdle to get through, and uh, which I attempt to do that in CGC, the the largest hurdle is the suggest uh, is the success of general relativity. Uh, the biggest success, the biggest success in my view, uh, time dilation and uh, 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 relativistic momentum, being able to predict those two things, also the deflection of light. So three Early. things, okay. and so in those three things, it's it's uh, highly predictive, very successful, and uh, thus far, uh, uh, people can propose various uh, gravitational theories as I have done, um, but in general, um, they don't do any better, and and usually much worse, at dealing with those specific things which are a strength of GR. Now, in CGC, uh, again, uh, this show isn't specifically about that today, so I'm not going to go into it in uh, any great depth. Uh, but uh, in CGC, I do provide a mechanism by which those things are accounted for, uh, plus accounting for the types of things like we've been discussing today, uh, when and where and under what circumstances and why we have actual repulsive gravity, and doing away with the idea of singularities at the heart of uh, uh, of black holes, which which GR predicts. Now, um, fortunately for GR, uh, making such a prediction at the heart of a uh, black hole is something that obviously cannot be confirmed. So there's no way to go to the center of a black hole and and say, uh, okay, do we actually have a singularity here or not? Uh, there's no way to do that. So uh, in the areas where general relativity is, in my opinion, weakest, in those areas, they're not really testable. Uh, and so uh, uh, general relativity is basically safe from criticism on that front until we can uh, figure out some way of uh, actually testing that. So, Right, right, right. So so if, if we're... Uh... So let's just say, for instance, if there's a let me, I'm going to share my share my screen just one second further here, if that's okay. Sure. There, there we are. So if if we consider Ernst Mach here, this um, this very fasc fascinating gentleman. Of course, I give a little a little history of the of the view I mean, of of the idea of inertia 
And Ernst Mach made, you know, he followed up on Newton's bucket ex experiment where where water's spinning in addition. Actually, this has been done. It forms this this lovely paraboloid surface here. As it's spinning um, in a dish, yes. Exactly, exactly, and it you know, and it, and it can be described by some fairly straight straightforward math. The the big question was in reference to what does Newton's bucket and its contents, or you know, or it can be Foucault's gyroscope and his pendulum also. Um, what is it with reference to what is it spinning? Of course, Newton said with reference to to an ideal inertial frame of absolute space, right? Okay. And general relativity actually is a modification of, of, of that idea. It's still, in essence, with, within the framework of, even though Einstein sought to follow Mach's principle, he didn't really succeed. Uh, it's in reference to the relativistic inertial frame of the system. All right? But... Mach said basically that it's with reference to the relative distribution of masses throughout the universe out there. Now, I think that whatever, whether it's CGC or whatever model turns out to be true, it, I believe it will have to abide by, by, by Mach's principle in that all of the motions and gravity and, and, and inertia and redshifts and whatever is, is going on will have to be referenced to to the distribution of of inertial systems throughout the universe, not to any arbitrary framework, whether Newtonian or general relative. I I agree with that. Yes, certainly. I think that uh, um, uh, I describe time as the record of change, and then that begs the question: the record of change of what? And to me, that is what matter and energy is, is the potential for various types of change. And right. so all matter and energy uh, together would constitute what we call the universe. Right. And uh, I think that the uh, uh, basic conservation law is, is just absolutely correct. It can be neither created nor destroyed. There is some total and whatever calculations we're doing whether we're talking about uh motion or we're talking about the the um uh, change of form of energy or you know and whether the motion is uh uh, uh linear or or uh rotational uh all of those things to me and it's sort of a common sense-ish thing they're conserved. Uh, that seems sort of common sense to me, and I think that in this uh, in this context, the common sense is correct. Uh, so the idea of uh, energy being created and injected steadily into the universe, as in, you know, the the current formulation of dark energy, uh, and just in general, the idea of a big bang where cosmological history is linear like that, like it started at some dense hot point and we're going to some uh, loose, uh, uh, non-dense cool point in the future, 
or if uh, the the energy density is staying constant by injecting new energy constantly into the universe, as, as dark energy does, uh, I think in a common sense sort of way that that's ridiculous. Um, and so I am definitely a subscriber to what Mach was saying, where when the proper way of relating any specific environment to the universe uh, uh, would be to, to relate to the universe in theory as a whole. Uh, you're, you're relating to the sum of everything. And, and, uh, and so, of course, as finite beings, we have to make simplifying assumptions because we can't really we can't really account for everything in the universe when we're doing our calculations, but that's why I say in theory it must be related to all of that. But yes, I, uh, in that sense, I'm definitely Machian myself. Yes, well, and it is possible that that some formalization, some formalism may be found at some point, which can which can easily, or or in a straightforward manner, solve solve that without you having to know where where every right mass is in the universe i mean let's 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 put it this way you know the one of the founding algebraists of modern physics of 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 course is is uh you know is amelia nother you know who in, in enunciated her famous principle that that for every law of conservation there 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 is a corresponding uh, you know symmetry and for every symmetry there is a corresponding law of conservation you know mm -hmm. um, that may be true at a deeper sense than we think right now at certain energy levels such that su such that overall conservation is pre preserved but baryonic conservation may not be preserved. Now, the Big Bang already has to assume that that's the case in an inflationary scenario that somewhere between the bang and the end of in, in, in inflation, it isn't conserved. But that's an irreproducible situation with, as we talked about last time, whatever, 28 orders of drop in temperature, supercooling, and all that kind of Right. Well, that that's one of the uh, inelegant or unattractive things about uh, standard theory is, of course, as we discuss uh, uh, many times, is you have, uh, you know, when we're talking about basic conservation laws and basic assumptions, we make assumptions based on what we're seeing all around us, you know, and so we kind of assume what we're looking at to be sort of universal. Um, but standard cosmology, while claiming to do that, really does not do that because it's always positing these things such as the Big Bang, such as inflation, such as dark energy, such as dark matter, all sorts of things which are not observed at all uh, and are purely hypothetical. And uh, although they are unobserved and hypothetical, they are foundational to standard cosmology, uh, which to a layman, to, yeah, to a layman, it just seems uh, absurd in one sense. In one sense, I understand it perfectly. Epicycle is a very good example. Uh, people used epicycles for a reason. It worked. I mean, 
for a thousand yeah. for right. a thousand years. Uh, the Ptolemaic system was highly predictive. It was excellent. It did better than anybody else could do. It made very good predictions. And so you had to assume these celestial spheres, and then you had to uh, assume many spheres within those spheres, and then other spheres within those spheres. You know, and you're assuming all these transparent spheres out there. And I'm sure there were many thinkers who thought, well, I don't really believe all those transparent spheres are out there, but the math works out. We're able to make predictions. And so when a standard modern cosmologist says, we assume all these things in order to make our predictions and GRLCB, LCDM, uh, hot big bang, although it fails in some things, it does succeed in a lot of other things. Okay. And Correct. so yeah. as, as long as it helps you to make predictions, then it's understandable that it be used. Um, where I start having a problem is when people start actually, you know, rather than just simply acknowledge that it's a mathematical crutch, if they actually, right. be, if they actually believe in something like inflation, uh, it just seems to me ridiculous. It's like, okay, I understand the math, why you're doing it. But obviously, the idea of the universe expanding at that rate is pretty ridiculous, absent uh, observation, uh, you know. So anyways, that's my uh, pontificating on that topic. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. Well, it is interesting. We, we should note that the standard cosmology has some very um, well-placed cha- challengers well, thank you very much, Lee, for your comments. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Again, Happy New Year to you and to uh, everyone else uh, watching. I would like to refer everybody to uh, Lee's site, enlightenmentlegacy.net. I will include the links to his site uh, in the comments uh, for the video. So thank you all very much for joining us today at the Taurus Report. And uh, we will see you again soon. Bye-bye for now.